Question uh, number one. What's one of your favorite comeback stories? And it doesn't have to be a, a personal comeback story. It can be uh, any story about a true or fictional event uh, in the broader culture. Okay, so you could share somebody else's comeback story if you know it, if you don't have one of your own. So do we have anybody who have a favorite comeback story? Yes, I have one. Every time I feel that I'm losing control of my self-time, I can really lose control. <laughs> I, it's a book called Fit for Life. Mm. And so I get back in that book. And as I read it, it really puts me back. Puts you back on track. On how I eat. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anybody have another comeback story? What's yours? <laughs> I, I can't remember that. <laughs> I can't remember the comeback story. Nothing comes to mind. You know, normally when you hear that something that leap out, ain't nothing leaping out. Okay, let's look at the um, Bible Meets Life on page 100. Uh, if we can have someone read that, please. Thought a lot about failure in recent years. The topic has felt very personal for me lately. My mom died suddenly in 2010. Just 18 months later, my dad also drew near to death. He'd been sick for years, but now the end had finally come. He was taken to a hospice home, and I stayed with him constantly, except for a critical few hours. Thinking he would live a few more days, I slipped out of his room while he was sleeping in order to attend a banquet. He died while I was gone. I wanted to be with him when he breathed his last, but I wasn't. I regret my decision to leave, but there's not a single thing I can do to change it. We all struggle with failure. Thankfully, Peter's life shows us that we're not doomed to live in the regret of our failures. Okay. So challenge that we have is in our lesson today, struggling with failure. There are a lot of people who are struggling with failure and they don't know how to come back. And uh, we will see that no matter how devastating the failure is that we have encountered, we can come back. Uh, because this lesson, redeemed from devastating failure, tells us the story of a person who really did come back. And that is Peter. Okay, look at the point at the top of page 100. What does it say? God can redeem us from even our worst failures. That's right. There's no failure that we can encounter in our lives that God cannot redeem us from. Now, I don't care how bad it is or how bad you think it is. God can redeem us from that. So let's look then at... Um, we need to be in prayer as we go through the study. Uh, thank God for His forgiveness that uh, we have received throughout our relationship with Him in the times when we've been falling down and getting up. Uh, like some parents like to say when they, when they have their children, I fall down and get up with that boy. Well, God continues to fall down and get up with us. Alright, so we can thank Him for that as we go through the study and pray, Lord, pray that, that uh, we'll learn from Peter's example uh, that is outlined in this study. Now, um, Let's look at the paragraph on page 102. 
uh, gives us some background uh, about Peter as an individual before we get into the actual passage. When Jesus began his ministry, he handpicked his team of disciples. Peter, also known as Simon, quickly became a leader and spokesman for that group. Peter was a rough and tough blue-collar worker from Galilee. Mm. Over time, he became convinced Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, along with the other disciples. Peter remained confused over what, was, what that really meant. He wanted Jesus to be a military Messiah who smashed the Romans and restored the nation of Israel. When Jesus predicted that his followers would abandon him, Peter was quick to speak up. He brashly declared that even if everyone else abandoned Jesus, he would boldly stand his ground. He would even die for Jesus. Sadly, bold and brash Peter soon ate those words. When Jesus was arrested a few hours later, Peter saw him in a different light. Jesus, the Messiah who had been so brilliant and articulate when challenged, now stood silent before his accusers. Perhaps in that moment, Peter saw his own aspirations of earthly prominence and power vaporized like a mist. Everything was happening so quickly, and Peter was surely both confused and fearful. The man who had quickly drawn a sword earlier in defense of Jesus now cowered in front of civil civilians. Rough and tough Peter denied even knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. When the rooster crowed, Peter remembered Jesus' words. Immediately the remorse kicked in. Peter wept bitterly, knowing himself to be a failure. I once sat with a friend who has struggled with sexual sin since adolescence. Addiction to pornography and an affair eventually led to a lost marriage, a lost job, and for a season, a lost relationship with his kids. His eyes reflected utter hopelessness as he asked me, Clayton, is there any hope for me at all? I'm a complete failure. Fortunately, the answer is yes. Hope for my friend, hope for Peter, and hope for all of us. Okay, so we see Peter's miserable failure, devastating failure. And, uh, and uh, let's now look at the passages. That's a sort of a background on Peter himself as an individual. Now let's look at the passage on one, page 101, uh, reading from 50, verses 54 to 62. They seized him, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, he was falling at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. And Peter sat among them. Then the servants saw him sitting in the firelight. And looked closely at him, he said, This man was within, too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them, too. Man, I'm not. Peter said, about an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was sailing with them, with him. Since he is also a Galilean, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you were talking about. Immediately <laughs> while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked to Peter. So Peter remembered the 
praise of the Lord. How we had said him before the mission crows today, you will deny him three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter sounds like a baby fella. <laughs> Man, I know him. Man, I know what you're talking about. Question number two on page 102. How do you typically respond when you feel like you've let someone down? Do you respond like Peter when he let Jesus down? Or do you have a different response? We, we, we basically feel the same way, right? Feel real bad. Feel like you want the ground to open up and swallow you, right? Oh, by the way, um, that $800 on the board, that's $1,800 on the board. That's the money that we've collected so far for the Saints in Need Fund, okay? I just wanted to give you an up-to-date. There's a little more than 800 and something and change. Okay, but that'll be added to it. Okay, so we just wanted to give you an up-to-date update on that. And uh, that is not money is not being spent any, for anything else. It's the church is holding it. And whenever it's needed, it'll be available. Okay, that's just by the way. I suppose I mentioned that at the beginning. Okay, an alternate question to that is, when have you felt like God let you down? When was the last time you felt like God let you down? Anybody ever felt like that? Yeah. Sometimes you feel like he's taking too long. Okay. You want something done like right away. But then you can't see the end. You don't know why he's, you know, delayed. Yeah, but you feel like you want it instant. So he let you down because he didn't do it instantly. Okay, that's good. Now that's not you. Uh, now that's not an isolated case I mean, when we feel like that because if you read through the Psalms and the Proverbs you'll see that the writers of the Psalms of David in particular complained many times and, and when you read it you'll, you'll, you'll see that he's feeling like God let him down okay and so we see that we don't, we don't need to feel uh, slighted by that uh, because God works in his own time and in his own way and he's upfront with that he told us quite plainly my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. So don't go thinking off the chart off the chart when you ask for something and I don't respond the way you want me to respond or in the time that I want you to respond, you want me to respond. Because God has his own timetable. And then he can see the end. You can't see the end. Right, he sees the end from the beginning. It's not happening right. Okay, you see the parade as it passes. God sees the whole parade one time. Yeah. Okay. So good. Um we often get to that point where we feel like God has let us down, uh, but we need to be patient and wait for Him. Okay, now let's look at uh, question number three on page 102. What are some ways we deny Jesus today? Now, we saw how Peter denied Him, right? What are some of the ways that we deny Jesus today in our goings and comings? Can you think of any? Sometimes I think we forget to give him glory. We'll take it for ourselves, like if we win something or whatever, like, you know. Okay. Um, yeah, sometimes we can get so excited about uh, our success that we forget to give God the glory, realizing that He is the one who actually accomplished it. I okay. sold this big house and I got a commission and 
and all that. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I remember the kid. Right. So we let God down. We let Jesus down when we deny to give him the glory that he deserves. And we need to remember what the proverb says. Man plans, but God determines the outcome. See all that money they put in the, in the, in the Yes Vote campaign? All of that money, all of those campaign ads, all the public publicity, all the people wearing the t-shirt, they say some people went to the polls and they asked him uh, uh, who they were voting for. People said, child, I vote, and they, they pay me to wear this t-shirt. Okay? And some people didn't even vote. Okay? And so all that money went into it. And I got a, a WhatsApp from, from somebody uh, the night when the when they no group was supposed to go in the square to have the last prayer meeting. Uh, someone was at me and said, they got kicked out of the square. Yes, not only could they get kicked out of the square, but all their commercials were pulled from the radio, from the station, the radio station. They didn't have any, and they said they pulled, especially the ones by Justice Dame Joan Sawyer. That was the first one they pulled. Yes. And then all the rest they pulled. You know, and I, all along through this process, you know, I was saying, I said, boy, there's going to be a big disappointment. Because the voice that keeps ringing in my mind all through the process is, man plans, but God determines the outcome. Okay, and he, 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 he did that precisely. Yes. All right, and so it was a it was a, a, a reenactment of David and Goliath. Okay, Goliath had all the armament, everything that he needed, but he failed, didn't he? Yes. And that's the way God works. My prayer was that God would do as He says, do as His Word says. Man plans, but God determines the outcome. So let's remember not to deny Jesus uh, by refusing to give him glory, refusing to honor him when he deserves honor. Remember what he said about that? If you honor me before men, I will honor you before my Father in heaven. So we let him down. We deny him and we refuse to give him the honor that he deserves uh, before men. And certainly he will deny us before the Father, as he said. And so there are a number of other ways we deny Jesus. Let's remember Peter's story not deny him in any way. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page 102. Someone read that, please. Oh, we did that already. We read that already, right? Okay, we read that already. All right. Okay, so we've seen uh, Peter at his worst. When we fast forward now to the book of Acts, we'll see Peter at at his best. But we have an activity, well, we'll skip that activity because we don't have that song by Casting Crowns. It's really nice. Yeah, you heard it? Yeah. Okay, I gotta look it up. I never heard it. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at the next passage, Jen, in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 4, page 101. If someone can read that. 101? The verses on page 101. Of the people and elders. If you are being examined today about the great deed done to this, uh, this able man, that remains he was healed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom he crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you, by the builders, which has become the point. There is salvation in no other else, for there is 
definitions there. One is Nazarene and one is Cornerstone. To give us a little bit more clarity, uh, the term referencing Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus. Nazareth was located in the region near Lower Galilee, about halfway between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. That gives us some geographical location in terms of where Nazar Nazarene was. And then we see Cornerstone. Uh, we know what a Cornerstone is, right? Whenever the people are putting up a structure, they have a cornerstone and they commemorate uh, the occasion by laying the cornerstone. And uh, uh, first stone as well as the final stone. Okay, now the context of this story is an incident in the temple complex involving Peter and John. After the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. They went into the temple and they encountered a man who was crippled from birth in the temple complex and they healed the man in the name of Jesus. The man was completely healed just like he had never been crippled before. And as a result of the miracle and their preaching the gospel in the temple complex where the people tell them that the leaders and those tell them not to preach, Peter and John were arrested Okay, they were arrested and they were locked up. They were held in jail overnight to face trial before the Sanhedrin Council the following day. And so Peter got up and stood before the Sanhedrin. And Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see a different Peter from we saw before. And only the filling of the Holy Spirit could cause this Peter that we have seen in this verse to be the way he was. Because we saw the dejected failure of a Peter before, right? So we see what can happen when one gives himself over to the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what Peter does. The phrase does not refer to the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God indwelled Peter for this particular occasion only. And God did that in those days. He, he specifically anointed a person with the Holy Spirit uh, to do a specific job. And then the Holy Spirit withdrew from them. Unlike us today, we have the Holy Spirit permanently. Permanently. All of us who know Jesus Christ, have accepted Christ, have the personal, permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so we can call upon the God anytime to allow the Holy Spirit to move and work in our experience. He is always willing. And that's why the Bible tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve Him when we don't listen to what He tells us to do. Okay? Aren't parents grieved when they tell their children to do something and they don't do it? Yeah. They grieve, right? You know, my wife was telling me about a little boy in her school, in her class, four years old, and how his father dotes over him and said that, I mean, this man, he does everything uh, as if, you know, the boy can't operate on his own. All right? He, the boy goes to school and he had a little saw in his mouth and he goes to the window during the whole time of the December and he's peeping through the window and, and looking at the boy and looking at the boy. And, uh, and, uh, and he stayed there for the whole assembly, okay? And uh, after the assembly, he went to the teacher and said, you know, I think I can take him home. He don't look like he, you know? And, 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 you know, the teachers told him, the principal told him, says, look, if you don't, and then his boy never does anything wrong. 
Okay, if, if, if anything happens, it's, not, it's somebody else's fault. Okay, it's not a child's fault. All right? And, uh, and so, you know, the princess comes and listen, you know, you better be careful because if you don't start uh, tending to this boy and, and doing what you, you're going to find yourself spending more time around the courthouse than anywhere else because he's going to think that he's always right to do whatever he feels like doing. He has a nanny and the nanny lets him do whatever he feels like doing. Okay? And he's an only child. So you know, you know what that means, right? He's spoiled. Okay? Well, they say that the girl who got something that we don't do it, we grieve him. Because why? Whatever he's telling us to do is for, for our own best interest. It's always for our good and never for our bad. Alright? And so when we don't listen to him, and remember now, the Holy Spirit is God. He knows the future. He knows if we, he, he can tell you, you know, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. But he doesn't, he doesn't have to tell you. The Holy tell you, listen to me, trust me. Okay? When, when a person wants you to obey, they say, well, trust them, right? And you, if you trust them, you'll do what they say. The Holy Spirit, when he, when he moves us to do something, he's actually saying, That's, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. All right? And so the Holy Spirit is grieved when we don't respond. But Peter was indwelled by the Holy Spirit for this particular occasion. And, uh, and he moved, he allowed the Holy Spirit to work in him. Uh, he was empowered by the Spirit, and he was able to face not only do the miracle that God allowed him to do, but he was also able to face the persecution uh, that came with preaching the gospel or doing God's will. And so we have an example, another good example from Peter. We see a, a, an example of Peter in his failure, and we see another example of Peter in his success. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page 104. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's another good example. In Acts 4, we see a completely different Peter. What changed? He was restored. After his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days with his followers. During that time, he talked with Peter along the shore of the Sea of Tiberias and called on him to express his love for him by feeding his sheep. Peter had failed three times. And three times Jesus called him right back to serve God. He was empowered. Jesus didn't leave Peter to serve alone. To all believers, he has given his Holy Spirit. The very Spirit of God was now living in Peter, empowering him to feed the sheep and proclaim Christ. We clearly see Peter's transformation from failure in Acts 4 
Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and now spoke boldly about Jesus to the same powerful religious leaders who had sought Jesus' death. When asked how he and John had healed the lame man, Peter could have simply said, God did it. But Peter wanted them to know exactly how God did it, and he held nothing back. Far removed from his failures, Peter boldly proclaimed, proclaimed the truth about Jesus. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. Jesus can take a broken man like Peter and empower him for ministry as a witness of the gospel, he can do the same thing with you. Failure happens, but God also offers you forgiveness when you fail. When you're willing to repent and receive the grace of God, you will watch him transform your hardest moment into your greatest testimony. A story of failure can also be a story of God's forgiveness, grace, and power. God can redeem our failures. Okay. So we see how Peter had changed since his denial of Christ. Two things mentioned there. He was restored. Only God can bring about that kind of restoration. After his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days with his followers. During that time, he talked with Peter along the shore of the Sea of Tiberias and called him to express his love for him by feeding the sheep. Peter had failed three times. And three times Jesus called them right back to serve God. What does that tell us? Oh, oh one at a time. <laughs> okay. Forgiving. Huh? It's loving. It's loving, forgiving, okay. Gives you another chance. Gives you another chance. Over and over again. Well, that, that happened in the referendum, right? That happened in the referendum. I hear some people say, I hear some people saying, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so, God gives us another opportunity, right? God is a forgiving God. Okay, we also note, uh, he was not only restored, but he was empowered. Jesus didn't leave me to serve alone. To all believers, he has given his Holy Spirit. The very Spirit of God is now living in Peter, empowering him to feed the sheep and proclaim Christ. And so we can see how we can learn from Peter's experience, right? Question number four, on page 104. How does the presence of the Holy Spirit transform our failures and empower our witness? How does the Holy Spirit transform our failures like he did with Peter and empower our witness? When we, um, I feel like when we recognize our failures, we can, we can guess that we have made a mistake. Mm -hmm. When we acknowledge our mistakes, yes. yes. You're not going to get any kind of success and forgiveness or anything if you don't fess up. Okay? Fess up. Admit. Acknowledge. And that's what Peter did. Okay? And that's what, that's what happens. Another alternate, alternate question is, what are some ways God's forgiveness has made a difference in your life? What are some of the ways God's forgiveness has made a difference in your life? How has it changed your life? New horizons. Okay? You trust them more. Okay? People see the change in your life, right? Yeah. 
Okay. For personal experience. Okay, as we conclude Acts, uh, with Acts chapter thir- 4, verse 13, we'll see how the religious leaders reacted to the boldness that Peter and John had. You know, they had a reaction too. You know, when they saw this man who was so, uh, such a failure before. Okay, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, just one verse. Verse 13. The religious leaders had summoned Peter and John to come. Just verse 13. No, that's, that's Acts 4 and 13. Yeah. Just the verse, not the... Just the verse. Reading. When they observed. On verse 13. 101. 101. When yeah. they observed. Yeah. Uh, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay. So they could see by the actions of these men, regardless of their backgrounds, that they had a unique experience with Jesus, right? So the boldness of Peter and John could not be ignored by the council of the Sanhedrin. Okay, they couldn't ignore what they saw. The Greek time translated boldness was used to, in reference to the freedom and courage of a person to speak whatever he or she desired in public. Luke used the word to emphasize the courage of those empowered by God to proclaim the message of the gospel. Because of this boldness, a group of professional, trained religious leaders were shocked. They were astonished. They were amazed at these two uneducated, notice how they describe, uneducated and untrained men. Okay, they weren't supposed to be talking like this because they're uneducated and untrained. Where did these men get this stuff from? Okay, that's, the, that's, the, that's what amazed the religious leaders. Okay, the apostles' words and actions and the witness of the healed man to the truth and the power of Jesus left them with nothing to say. They could not say, they, they were shocked. Okay, by what Peter and John did. They couldn't, they couldn't find any words to say. The Sanhedrin could not deny the power of Jesus in healing the lame man. They also recognized that Peter and John had had an encounter with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. You can't spend any time with Jesus and people not know about it. Okay? The same is true for us today. Our bold witness will point others to Jesus Christ. So when we are bold in our testimony and in our lifestyles for Jesus, other people are going to see it and they say, boy, I want what you got. Sister, I want what you got. Whatever you have, I want it. Okay? I don't know how many of you have seen that commercial. There was a commercial one time with this lady in the restaurant, and she was screaming and hollering and whatever, carrying on. And the waiter came to another lady at the other table and said, what will you have, man? And the lady said, well, I want what she had. <laughs> Remember that commercial? <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's the way it ought to be with believers. All right? We are supposed to be carrying on in such a way that it will impress those around us, and they're going to want what you have. Okay, whatever you have, they're going to want it. Okay, page 105. Let's look at the paragraphs there. The religious leaders had summoned Peter and John because of the field beggars. Once they, once they heard Peter's powerful words, however, they were forced to notice three important truths about the disciples standing in front of them. One, they were bold. 
Two, they were untrained and uneducated by the religious leaders' definition. And three, they had been with Jesus. If these men knew anything about Peter, they would have realized the healed beggar wasn't the only miracle standing before them. Peter had been with Jesus, and Jesus had made a difference in his life. Imagine what it might have been like for Peter to talk about denying Jesus. Think of his voice changing to joy as he told how Jesus lovingly restored him on the shore of Galilee and called him to a life of ministry, mission, and witness. Did Peter cry when he told how Jesus forgave him after his failure? Did he shout for joy at the grace he received? Either way, his failure was part of the story. You also have a story that out of your own encounter with Jesus Christ, your life is unique to you, and it contains unexpected turns, failures, defeats, and regrets. God will use the specific elements of your story to touch people's hearts and point to the grace and power of Christ in your life. Your failures can lead you to greater faith when you experience the forgiveness of Jesus. So tell your story, all of it, and let the Holy Spirit use your witness to bring others into the kingdom of God. Okay, two main points there that stand out. One, if these men knew anything about Peter, they would have realized the healed beggar wasn't the only miracle standing before them. Peter had been with Jesus, and Jesus had made a difference in his life, so Peter was actually a miracle too, because of what God did in his life. And then the second point is, uh, you also have a story that of your own encounter with Jesus Christ. Your life is unique to you, and it contains unexpected turns, failures, defeats, and regrets. Your failures, and the third point is, your failures can lead you to greater faith when you experience the forgiveness of Jesus. So tell your story, and as it says, all of it, and let the Holy Spirit be use your witness to bring others into the kingdom of God. So don't be reluctant to tell your story. It'll amaze you how it'll draw others into the kingdom of God. Okay, question number five, last question. How can you support one another in moving past your failures? Tell your story. Tell your story, exactly. Tell your story and encourage. Your story can be a source of encouragement to anybody who may be having a failure of their own. And then you might want to let them know as well that you have to be where you've, you know, you're put in a situation so that you can grow. That's right. So if you never fall down, then you don't know anybody else, how to help anyone else. Exactly. Your failures can be a stepping stone to the help of others. Again, the point of the whole lesson, God can redeem us from even our worst failures, and Peter is a classic example of that. Okay, let's see how we can apply this whole lesson as we go forward during the course of the week. Number one, uh, continue the process of allowing God to redeem your failures. Consider these suggestions. Number one, repent. Are you currently failing in an area of your life, in your life? Don't hide from it. Face your failure and be honest about it. Then repent and turn to Christ for forgiveness. That's point number one. Point number two, encourage. Write a note or give a call to someone struggling with failure. Talk about how God forgives us completely and desires to use us in spite of our failures, just like he did with Peter. And then number three, share. 
write down your story, including both your failures and your salvation in Christ. Tell your story in a way that does not glorify your failure, but lifts up Jesus. Then take the important step of sharing your story with others. So three things we can do as a result of this lesson today in terms of application. Repent, encourage, and share. And then the last point is, I can't go back and redo my failures at my father's deathbed. You can't go back and change any of your failures either. Yet all of us can choose to move forward in the wonderful knowledge that God can and will redeem even our worst failures. You did it for Peter, you do it for us. Amen? Amen.